This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 476 for Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. My name is Joel Duggan and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, Ryan Murphy is back, co-host on podcasts like The Gamers In, Zombies Ate My Podcast, Summoner's Call, and Dungeons and Diapers. You can find Ryan at rmurphy on Twitter. The last time Ryan was on the show, it was the Citadel Cafe episode 449 halo chronicle welcome back my friend thank you thank you for having me i'm excited to be back to talk about video games uh if we had pushed this uh like a couple weeks we could have called this the halo chronicles 2 because we would have had season two of halo to discuss it's supposed to be better they say but i think they're paid to say that they being the people who made the show (laughs) it's kind of their job right and i actually have the paramount plus subscription that is needed to watch that and it will be a much better viewing experience this time around because previously it was on crave and the crave app at least on xbox was hot garbage and this time it's going to be paramount plus via apple tv plus which is a very good app and has very good 4k stuff so i'm looking forward to actually checking it out i might have to rewatch the first season actually it wasn't terribly long was it like 10 episodes maybe i think it was 10 10 one hour episodes a pretty it's a pretty quick watch. Um, I I kind of didn't mind the first season, although it did have its issues. Uh, just watching the trailer for the second season really, really shows that I think they're trying to adhere closer to the novels and the games and stuff with with the fall of Reach. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I, honestly, I, I like I like the first season, but they're. It had its issues, and I think they acknowledge some of those story beats not really working as well. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 pretty stoked. And you're right; like, I think the Paramount Plus app uh, is, uh, or through the Apple Plus channels, however it works these days. It's there's so many different ways to watch things, but uh, I do like the Apple TV channels. That works really well for sure. It has gone the way of traditional cable where they have all these add-on channels. Like you, you can add the same channels depending on what streaming service you're with. Like if you are with Apple TV plus and that's where you spend most of your time, you can add things like I think star and Paramount plus there's a bunch of other things that you can add. And then you can also do that on prime. If you prefer prime as your location for where you do most of your stuff, like say you're an Amazon household with like echoes and different things, then you can do that. And uh, it gets really confusing depending on how the UI is set up. I will say that Apple TV Plus, at least on Xbox, recently did a redesign of their app. And it's a lot clearer now where the extra channels are. Before, they used to look like the same title card as the shows. And they would have like art from a new show. But in teeny tiny print, it would be just like, this is the Paramount Plus channel. And this is the, you know, the other channel. And it would be really hard to differentiate between what's a show we want to watch and where is it 
within Apple TV Plus. And I think part of the issue with that is the thing that they try to do with Apple TV Plus on the Apple TV hardware is that they try to say, well, you can just go in here and it doesn't matter that you subscribe to Netflix elsewhere. You can just stay within our ecosystem and watch it there. And that's not the case, obviously, when you're on something like an Xbox, you have to launch Netflix separately as you would with any other smart TV, like a Roku and all that. So I've found it a bit confusing. I've also been kind of trying to dumb down my streaming services and ultimately <laughs> look, I only get rid of one. I thought I was going to be able to get rid of more, but I keep in prime because of the, the shipping. Uh, I ditched Disney plus for now. And I currently have Netflix because avatar, the last airbender live action is coming out in a month. And what's the other thing that I have now? Well, Apple TV plus, but Apple TV plus is one of those things where I've got the Apple one group thing. So it's like, includes my parents and my sister and my dad and then i've also got my own music and storage like so it's all in under one kind of like umbrella which is cheaper than doing it all separately so that's why i'm keeping that uh I, i'm on the fence about paramount plus uh, every time i think about canceling it i realize oh there's a really cool show i should probably watch coming out like halo so i appreciate the reminder uh, for that i haven't seen the trailer though um so i'm looking forward to checking that out after the show i uh, i find that while i enjoy not having cable TV because if I'm over at somebody's house and it's like traditional television with like commercials, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. But I miss a lot of the ads. Like I don't see trailers for things nearly as often as I used to. Yeah. My, uh, so it's funny. I, I had this conversation with my kids the other day. We were talking about channels cause they asked me, mm, I had that mm -hmm. moment where they say, what's a channel. And, uh, <laughs> I had to stop. So I laughed because we only have Netflix and Disney Plus and and Amazon Prime, but they watch either Disney or or Netflix, and and um, they asked what a channel was, and they were like, "Oh, it's like at Grandma's when they have." Because my my mom has satellite, right? And they're like, because they were asking me if uh, about TV, and I said I had a TV in my room when I was a kid, older than they are, just so they didn't ask for a TV because I had one when I was a kid. But I said I had a TV in my room and they asked, well, what, what did you watch? And I'm like, well, we only had like four channels or whatever. And he's like, oh, like grandma's. It's like, well, no, it was different. Like you had to like change the channel. There was no guide. There was no like menu. Didn't tell you what was on the TV. You just had to click through the four channels. It's like, well, how'd you do that? It's like, well, you used a knob on the TV because it was a really old TV. <laughs> yep. And it just went places i didn't even look i just stopped myself from explaining what a vhs was because uh it would have been too much but i um i guess they see a lot of commercials at school because mm -hmm. they use youtube at school right a lot uh and and yeah like they, they would tell me like i would say like where did you even hear about this toy or whatever they asked for christmas so i saw it on uh, i saw it in an ad and i'm like what ad like you don't you watch youtube kids at home limited you know so there's no ads there you have netflix disney plus we don't have tv so where do you see ads it's like oh we see it at school when we watch you know when they have like youtube shows or whatever that they use for their lessons so i was like that's interesting a little i don't want to say disturbing but a little like hmm makes it what i would want to ask the school why they don't spring for the 14 dollars a month for ad free you know and why they're not using youtube kids because then there wouldn't be any ads at all yeah i think uh i think some of the teachers play for youtube premium i guess it because it depends oh like, it's like their own personal account 
Okay. It would have to come out of their personal. Uh, they would have to pay for themselves. I, wow. I highly doubt that the school board would pay for it. Like it's probably one of those nice to haves. Um, and I, that's uh, I would imagine that's how that works. Like because sometimes they'll watch movies in class, and it's it's like the teacher's personal. Oh, that's Netflix a dangerous. Or, that's a dangerous app to open up like because the ads that you get on youtube are like what are you watching on youtube <laughs> you know oh, in well, your own time kids stuff right so it's like toys and stuff but, but i mean like I, in your own time you know like i true. It, it's like that kind of stuff is, is sketchy that's the other thing that's that's where i used to get the the you know supplemental trailer information not that i would necessarily watch the ad because i would normally skip it but i would make a mental note oh crap there's a new star wars thing out i should go look for that trailer on youtube but because i play for youtube premium i don't get the ads I don't know for sure. I, I know like I, it, it, you know, my kids are probably telling the truth and that they're seeing ads at school, but like, I wonder how they have it set up and because mm. they would like, they know what, what, what just dance is, which is like a Ubisoft dancing video game, but they didn't know it was a video game to them. They just figured it was a YouTube thing, where, right. but it was really just them for exercise. The teachers would put on this just dance video and the whole class would get up and dance so they, they just thought it was a YouTube show. I was like, no, it's a, I said it's a video game. You can get it for Christmas if you want. So um, it's interesting. I mean, it like it changes all the time, and and uh, and of course, why wouldn't you use you know YouTube as a as a tool if you know saves you probably a lot of a lot of hassle. So I get it for sure, a hundred percent. Maybe maybe they're not seeing as many ads as they're saying. They make it sound like their 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 school is like ad funded through youtube but i think it's they probably just see a couple of ads and it sticks with them right yeah but well, uh, especially if it's an alien yeah. experience right if you're so used to no ads on netflix and no ads on youtube at home when it happens at school it would be like a what is that like that would stick yeah. in your, that would stick in your head i would think oh yeah yeah that that exactly like you know my kids like if they see something that that would be alien to them they'll you know in terms of like an advertisement or uh even like I got a, I subscribe. So Lego has these like Lego magazines you can subscribe to like for kids for free. Right on. So I, I, I had that as a kid. So I was like, oh man, I want to get this for the kids. And I subscribed and they were just, they didn't understand what was happening. It's like this magazine that they could read that had stuff for them, for kids, you know, cause to, like to them, like magazines and books were always like, you know, adult stuff, you know? So yeah, they, uh, I make it sound like my kids live a sheltered life, but you know, this is just stuff that they discover over the years. And you realize like, Oh yeah, I guess we don't really have magazines in the house, but now we have Lego magazines, which is nice. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with just the delivery of media in general is just all digital now. Yeah. I mean, I take the time on purpose to read paper books, but Outside of that, like, I don't get magazines or newspapers. Like, once upon a time, I used to go to a cafe on Saturdays. I used to get a local weekly kind of news, uh, local newspaper called The Coast. And I would go up, have breakfast at a small diner for like five or six bucks and read the paper. And it was, I really enjoyed it. It was relaxing. And then I would go and draw at a cafe for the rest of the afternoon. But like, I, I wouldn't even do that now. You know, like I just, I mean, I mean, I guess maybe if I did it, it would be like that kind of reverse, um, like retro thing to do. Like I'd, I'd want to unplug to go do it where for the last, you know, 20 years between when I was doing that and now I hadn't thought about it because I just, I have my news already. I see it on Twitter or I see it on, 
you know, Facebook or whatever, you know, wherever channels, I guess locally it would probably be more Instagram because I'm not really active on Facebook, but that kind of stuff comes to me, you know, in other ways. And I don't have to go once a week by, I mean, it was like a buck or something. It wasn't expensive. Um, I don't even know if it was, it might not have even been something that I had to buy. I think it was just something you could pick up that was just in the cafes to read. Uh, if I recall, I imagine the cafe probably paid for a couple of copies, but that was, um, you didn't, I don't remember ever paying for one. Every once in a while I would buy a newspaper if there was an important article in it about like art or film or something in the animation industry locally. Uh, cause it often would feature friends of mine. So like that kind of stuff I would pick up, but like it's been a long time since I've read an honest to goodness magazine. Probably the last time I was on a plane would be my guess. Like if I was to think about, you know, what happens if the battery dies on the phone or you know, if I need something to distract myself with, because I'm a stressful flyer and I might've just grabbed a magazine from like a newsstand or something. No, that makes sense. I think that, uh, I used to love reading video game magazines. Those were my favorite, but again, like these days, anything hitting a magazine has already hit the front page of IGN. Right. <laughs> you don't yeah. really need to No, the delay in print is, is sizable. I mean, I remember Nintendo power magazine. I used to have a subscription. I would, I'd get all the codes and the, the maps for the different levels in Mario and all that stuff. I, I totally remember that. Yeah. And that was like published by, or at least, you know, published and, and, um, organized by Nintendo. So you were getting, you were getting stuff early, like a Nintendo could hold stuff back for Nintendo power. And then, tell everybody else once it hits shelves right but yeah. uh yeah oh, that went away and and funny enough they became a podcast for a little bit they actually had the nintendo power podcast um it's also gone away <laughs> so <laughs> uh yeah nintendo's just uh they're all they're all about uh, it's unfortunate that nintendo power went away i was really excited when it came back as a podcast cuz obviously that's our that's our jam, you and I, podcasting, so... It's difficult, too, because I noticed watching the Xbox Developer Showcase this past week that the two hosts of, I think, an extended version of that talked about the Xbox podcast. I was like, how have I not heard about this? And because I don't know if it's really a podcast. They might release it as one, but it's it's video first. Like, it's a video production. Because when you're talking to developers and, and ta hearing them talk about the games as they're being made... There's so much of a visual component, I feel, on those introductions where it's different if the game is already out and there's people like you and I or, or yourself and your other co-hosts that are talking about their experience within the game and other people can have hands on as well. So when you talk about a character or a level, other people can like, oh yeah, I remember that because I did that yesterday or two, a week ago or whatever. Whereas with the Xbox podcast, it just, it felt... Well, for one, it felt really manufactured. Like it didn't feel like it was a conversation. It felt like more of a, uh, a presentation, the kind of, I'm not sure what you want to call it. The personalities that you see at some of these developer conferences and stuff when they do the, sh the, the showcases, um, the, the one that passed week, and we'll probably talk about this later, but there was no, no host. It was just like a video and it went from in-house developer video to in-house developer video talking about each respective game which i thought was great because there was no fluff it was like an hour and it was done and it was all just like devs talking about what they do which i thought was fantastic um i yeah. i know that there is i don't remember what it's called this week on xbox maybe because i do subscribe to the xbox youtube channel what i like about that is that they'll talk about what's happening that week including new releases to game pass that you might not know about 
And as a Game Pass subscriber, I like that. But that's a that's a YouTube video. Like they, that's not just an, a, a podcast. Like it's a curated six minute to 10 minute YouTube video that has like little bookmarks that say this game is coming, this game is coming, this game is coming. So if you don't like the game you're looking at, you can just skip ahead a minute and a half and just look at the next one and see if it's, if there's anything of interest that you want to hear about. And I mean, I've, I've picked up a couple of games. Usually it's the indie games that I don't know about that I find on the, this week in Xbox kind of presentation on, on YouTube, things like uh cocoon, I think is one. And tunic and a little fox character one i think that I, I think i heard about that via the yeah. xbox presentation thing but anyway we're going to talk a lot more about video games in a little bit uh but in the meantime i wanted to to see what's new with you because it's been uh quite a while since i've had you on the show so what's new in the the geeky world of ryan murphy i thought it'd be fun to share this i was trying to think like okay what do we want to what do we want to kick off the show with what's what's new what's interesting we're going to talk about video games so i mean like we'll talk about video games eventually i thought um my co-host on Dungeons and Diapers, uh, Crofton, surprised me. He, look, he he warned me ahead of time in Discord. He's like, I got a surprise for you on our next episode. I'm like, oh, God, what did you do? What what happened? Because he's that type of person to, like, come up with some scheme. And I'm, if I say his name two more times, he'll actually listen to the show. So we'll, <laughs> we'll spread it out. He's one of those folks, right? Like, mm-hmm. once he, when someone tells him, like, hey, someone mentioned you on a podcast... He'll like start hounding you for the timestamp. Um, <clears throat> so it's quite early on, Crofton. Oop, one more time. I'll have to be careful. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Dungeons and Diapers is a uh, a geeky culture similar to uh, the Citadel Cafe, where it's half talking about like movies, TV shows, uh, books, stuff like that. And then the second half, we usually have like a parenting topic where we'll talk about um, our last one was food and talking about you know, feeding our kids and, and the, the fun and frustrations that comes with being told they want one thing and then serving it to them. And they're like, no, I didn't ask for that. And it's like that ever, mm. ever long dance of, of food. Um, but, uh, Crofton surprised me with, uh, that's three, sorry. Uh, this challenge, he's like, I've got challenges for you. So he presented like three challenges, fun little challenges for the podcast. And the two week he came up with, were watch every Marvel TV show and movie in 2024, um, including the Sony stuff. So uh, these challenges are meant to be like fun, a, a little bit above and beyond what you would normally do. So for me, I, I watch all the Marvel stuff, but I don't watch the Sony stuff. So like it's kind of like a you got this, but also a twist of the knife a little bit. So. Mm-hmm. so so that's one. And then the second one, uh, and and the listeners get to choose. We put a poll up. The second one was uh, play a Betrayal at Crondor, which is a 90s PC game that I had never heard of before uh, until he had told me about it. So those are the options. I don't know what the poll's at. I think Marvel's winning right now, um, which could be interesting because I guess Sony has three projects this year that I'll have to watch. Uh Madam Web, uh, Craven, and I think Venom has another one coming out this year. Venom's got a second one out now. That's I tried yeah. to get through that on Netflix, but I bailed. So good luck with yeah. that. It's uh, it's not the best. Uh, although, I mean, the plus side of having to watch the Sony stuff is that you've got Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse. True, true. I haven't seen the second one, but it comes very highly recommended. I love the first one. So 
those are those are good things i guess when it comes to the marvel tv like have you seen all the marvel tv or have you like been picking and choosing what you watch i watch all of it i have not watched uh what if season two well that's brand new yeah it's brand new i'm i'm also, I haven't seen Echo, so I'm already behind. Mm-hmm. You know, if this is the challenge, I I I want to watch them. Cool. So I guess that's the difference. Is like I'm interested in watching those, and I have been keeping up with Marvel in terms of TV shows. Unlike some folks who are like, you know, they've they've kind of separated the TV shows and the movies, which I think has also impacted their enjoyment of the movies. Maybe because you've got characters popping up that are like, yeah, were introduced already, but. But we'll see. We'll we'll see how it goes. Um, but the main thing is, like, I now have to come up with challenges for him. And I thought that I would run down the list that I've got because I'm trying to make challenges that are fun, but also a little bit, uh, a little more difficult, like push him a little bit to to do some stuff that I think he would be be good at. So um, the first one was guest on core. So the core podcast, mm-hmm. the, it's the Frog Pants video game show. He has um he has a beef with Core, like they like they fight a little bit. I his best friend Bo is on is on Core, so like I guess they have this joking back and forth. Right on. So I was like, you got a guest on Core. That's the top one I think that I want to present him. Uh, the other one is he complains about social media, Twitter specifically. So I said he's going to have to use Mastodon for a year, um, <laughs> which I do like Mastodon. Uh, it's, this is by no means like a haha Mastodon, like poking fun. I actually really like Mastodon and I think that, uh, he would probably flourish there. He would do pretty well. Um, he just needs that push, you know, sign up for an account, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, and then launch a podcast. He's always, he's always said he could launch a podcast. So I think he'd, he'd do good with that and stream a video game. So he, he gets to pick one of these or uh, I th- I don't know veto a couple of them I I don't know what he wants to do but but like I kind of like those are the four that I was kind of coming around on as to like what would be fun and the whole point is to kind of encourage content throughout um throughout the year on the podcast so that's that's kind of where I'm at we're gonna see where it goes but obviously if uh, anyone has thoughts or feelings like I'm kind of trying I'm still I still have some time to to narrow these down. If, if there's some mm. here that don't sound as fun as others, you know, I like the idea of the guest on core, but that's kind of like a one day event compared True. to your Marvel a thon. That's going to take you the rest of the year <laughs> to, to watch all that <laughs> yes. stuff. Uh, True. So I kind of wonder if you could pick like, is he is into things like star Wars? Like you are like, is, is that, is that something that's that he would have already done sort of deal? He he's a big Star Wars fan. Uh, mm. He's he's particularly ahead of. Well, actually, I don't know. I don't know if he's watched all the Star Wars stuff. Like, because there's a he, lot when you start to think about yeah. Clone Wars and Rebels and the the new Jedi series that's on Disney Plus. Like, there's a bunch of stuff that that could, especially and to to talk about those pain points. There's like a young Jedi show that's like aimed at five-year-olds that he would have to watch yeah. too, right? Like there's a bunch of stuff that would be like really fun, but also r- cringy <laughs> as an adult to sit down and watch, right? That's not a bad idea. I I would have to, like, I think with Star Wars, he's, uh, he likes Star Wars, but similar to Marvel where it's like, watch the top tier stuff. Like, I, I don't know if he's seen, mm. um, 
and I mean top tier. I think Star Wars is a little different. Like there's less of it, so it's 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 more uh there's less of it, so it's easier to watch. Um, but there is still like different different types of medium. As you said, there is a, a children's show, which isn't too bad. Our our kids watched it and it's definitely aimed at a, a younger audience. I'm sure, sure it's fine. I'm not watching it. No, no. That's I, fine. I'm watching things like Star Wars Visions, the short animated anthologies and the uh, Tales of the Jedi, where they kind of delve into some characters that you know of, but are only in the movies for a, a heartbeat, Count Dooku. And they go into like his backstory and all that stuff. And that stuff was really, really cool to see. And I, w- I mean, like, I enjoyed it. But if depending on someone's appreciation of Star Wars, it may or may not be their cup of tea. What about reading? Like you could assign something like reading Game of Thrones or reading Harry Potter, that kind of stuff that mm. uh, especially if he hasn't done it yet. Like if, if seen the movies, but not read the books kind of situation, because that would be kind of a cool conversation experiment as well. Cause you're, you're not just kind of forcing someone to do something nerdy. That's kind of time consuming, but you'd also be just like, oh, so now there's a conversation of like, ah, I've never read these books, but I have seen the movies. And here's what my experience was in comparison to what I remember from the films. Right. Yeah. Reading is a funny one because, uh, that is one I could, I could turn back on him because I know last year. He, so we used to do these like watches. So like uh, one was book watch where he brought a book onto the show and and he's like, oh, I'm going to challenge you. And because I, I said, oh, I'll read that. I haven't read in forever. And mm-hmm. he's like, OK, I'll challenge you. And and um, I read it. It was the Thursday Murder Club series. There's four books now. And last year I read all all four. And I think he's he's working on the third one or he's he's only made it through two. So. I kind of I kind of took the book thing and and ran with it, but honestly, I, I, it was one of those things where I just needed the push. It'd been so long since I've read, I missed it dearly, and kind of rediscovered the local library here and the idea of just like with a library card and a bit of patience, I can hold the book online. Like uh, I think right now I'm uh, I'm reading a book. Uh, it's called uh, Kaiju Preservation Society. So I get recommendations from the gamer gamers in discord and I'll like go into my library account. I'll put the book on hold. Sometimes there's a waiting period and I'll just, I'll just wait, you know, nice. like I think I waited two months for the fourth Thursday murder club book since it was brand new. And then it took time for the library to get it. And it took time for people to finish reading it. So, um, I really, I, I've really enjoyed that experience. Like going to the library and every time I go to the library, like, you know, the person, I like to go to the person who will check me out because they'll often have like more suggestions based on. Yeah. Every time I go to check out my books, they're like, oh yeah, this is a really good one. But have you heard of this one? It's similar. And you know, it's, it's got this twist to it or not like telling me the twist ending, but like (laughs) the differences and, and changes and stuff. So I've, I've really enjoyed that. And I think reading would be a good one because I think that, uh, that would be a fun one. And you're right, like to have something that could sort of have that uh, continuous effect. Um, I think the the funny part about Core is that, I mean, you and I both know Scott. He's got like his structure for the show. He very rarely has guests. It would almost be like a, a very big challenge for for him to try to guest on that show because they right. don't have guests on that show. Yeah. It's, it's almost... It, it might be a giveaway for the veto of like, 
he might just veto that one by default because he knows he might not be able to do it. Well, the other thing too is you're kind of inviting yourself on someone else's podcast, but at, yes. the, same, at the same time, if this faux rivalry is something mm-hmm. that everyone's enjoying, even though it's kind of this internet theater, if he goes on there, then it's, that's going to maybe stop, right? Or it, yes. you're going to, you're pulling the curtain back, right? Whereas, I mean, the really fun thing to do would be to pretend that he was going to be a guest on the show and then for him to like cancel the last minute or stand them up and create this drama, you know, screw you guys. Ha ha. Gotcha. You know, I'm never going to be on your stupid show. I don't know. I, I, I really like all the, all the guys on core. So like, I'm obviously I'm just teasing, but yeah, like something like that could be worth it for the, uh, for the drama. And you never know, like that kind of cross pollination can sometimes get clicks and people, I mean, people on the internet, especially Twitter, like a they drama do. fest, right? As, and if it's manufactured, like you can't buy marketing like that. No, it's interesting because, uh, this, this beef, it's very much like if I don't watch wrestling, but mm-hmm. I know what you uh, mean. a good portion of the core podcast and Crofton as well, watch wrestling or into wrestling and I don't even remember. I think it started as like Bo would use examples of his real world experiences with Crofton, and then I would clip those out and then play them on Dungeons and Diapers to get Crofton's reaction. And that's kind of how it started. And then um, Crofton like recorded. He was like really upset about something. I said you should record a voicemail and send it in to Core and have them play it. And then they did, and it ended up being like this 20-minute segment on this three-minute clip that he had sent in, which was this big wrestling sort of rant that he did. You know, you can picture it like you may not even – I'm not even into wrestling, but I know of like those, you know, those hallway rants that would happen in wrestling shows where it's like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to wrestle you, and and I'm going to win Saturday. Yeah, you know, bad example, but you get the idea. So – I think, uh, and I never really thought about it. It's like, yeah, the challenge is basically like inviting yourself onto someone else's podcast. That's not, you know, that might not be the greatest thing, but um, it's all in good fun. And they, uh, they know of it. I I think it would be funny too (laughs) for him to try, but you're right. Like it would, it would be pretty hilarious for him to, for them to build it up. Like next week we're going to have so-and-so on the podcast. It's going to be great. We're going to bury this beef. And then last minute he cancels and then, just keeps on going so um we'll we'll see like i think uh i like the idea of reading books um i had thought of torturing him with him watching like all the 2024 walking dead stuff because there's oh my gosh uh, (laughs) there's only three projects this year only three um only three six episodes each season so it's only about 18 episodes um the the unfair part of that is like he would be very lost because they're both two or second seasons uh and one is the Rick and Michonne series. So that one probably wouldn't be as confusing, but why is Daryl Dixon in Paris might be his first question with the second season of Daryl Dixon. So um yeah, it, it just a bit of fun for the podcast. So we'll we'll see. I like your point of uh of Star Wars content. I think like what do we have this year? We have the Acolyte, um Bad Batch season three, which is the final season. Oh or four. Three or four. What the new season is coming soon and it's the last one. Uh oh. there is um a skeleton crew with Jude Law. Right. And the Mandalorian and Grogu is filming, but that's not coming out this year. 
I don't know of anything else that's coming out this year. I think the Bad Batch is the next series, but normally it's like two series and they've been trying to get these new film productions out. But I yeah. think I think a lot of that is has been delayed because of the writer's strike and the actor's strike. So like there's a what would have been a full docket is now been spaced out quite a bit, right? Yeah, so a couple of Star Wars projects. Um, and I and I do like the idea of like looking at, okay, like what do I have to do this year and trying to balance it? Because I feel like uh, I feel like the guest on core, he could probably cheese that and get it done in a month. Oh, you know, and be like, easily. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's also Star Wars books too, right? Like there's, there's novels that have been coming out. There's like an Ahsoka novel. There's uh, two Thrawn novels. Oh, really? They're not coming out this year. Those are out now. And... I haven't read them, but I know of them and there's huh. other stuff coming. I don't know whether Andor season two comes out in 2024 or whether that's later. I think, you know what? I think Steven mentioned it on the holiday roundtable. I think that Andor season two is coming out this, this year. I, I admittedly have not been paying that much attention because where it's streaming and it's stuff that's owned by Disney and Lucasfilm, I, I'm not worried about missing the window. I will hear about it when it's close to time to watch it. And I will be watching stuff like that when it comes out. But I, because of the nature of it being on streaming and not being released in theaters, like I don't really, ha I'm not keeping tabs on it. I'm not counting down the days. I have lots of other things to watch in the meantime too. So that's the other thing. I think Disney plus is one of those where they, I think Andor is yeah coming out this year and, and uh, probably similar window August timeframe. So that one, um, I will add Star Wars content and maybe like, give them bonus points for reading a book. I think that, uh, I think they, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so out of the loop when it comes to the extended sort of universe stuff for star Wars. And when it comes to books, but, um, they had like a, they had like a project that was closer to the acolyte it was the, uh, the, uh, high Republic or something series they were launching. I don't know. I'm so out of loop on that stuff, but, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be a lot of fun, too. And the listeners try to get involved as well. And they've been sending me ideas, too. And um, I think the main thing is, is, like, I want to balance, like, torturing him, but also, like, having fun. So, like, you got to have that, like, balancing act, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll see. <laughs> Quick Google search. And we had just about everything. It was the Skeleton Crew acolyte tv series the bad batch season three tales of the jedi another season of tales of the jedi is coming and or season two is 2025 possibly 2024 and then star wars ahsoka is in development as of right now so that's the list of what's coming for star wars which is that's still a lot like all of them are series nothing's a movie so that's a decent amount of content right yeah and that that kind of matches up i think with uh with Marvel stuff, because Marvel stuff is supposed to be pretty light this year in terms of movies. I think, well, we just have Deadpool three, right outside of the, the Sony stuff. So, and I could see, uh, yeah, I don't think that I was joking. I don't think the Sony stuff is going to slip because like, I don't think, I don't think the writer's strike affected them because some of those movies, you know, didn't involve writers later on. Maybe, I don't know. Something happened. I didn't see Morbius, but it, it sounds like some things went wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've not been keeping tabs on all of the Sony stuff, but I just the Spider-Man stuff. That's where I'm, I focus on because I really like the, the Tom Holland Spider-Man series and looking forward to more 
stuff like that. But that's that's a Sony Marvel crossover too. Like it's not just Sony compared to the like the like you said, Craven and Venom and can't remember the other ones. Oh, uh, Madam Web. That's out soon. That's out like next month, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's Valentine's Day or around there, like mid February. I think you're right. I think I remember a Valentine's Day release date on that. Yeah, they're trying to. Uh, I was reading somewhere that I guess Madam Web was supposed to have, like Sony. This is a conversation we had when when the challenges are coming up. Sony doesn't know. Like they have like legally they have like Spider-Man like locked down like they know how to they've figured out how to keep those rights and they've sort of figured out a way to share with with Disney, which is nice of them, Uh, you know, share a billion dollar franchise that technically Disney owns. However, like they've they're not smart about it. Like they could they could easily look at what they're doing with Marvel I don't think there's anything like legally stopping them from working with Marvel on their extra projects. Like clearly Marvel is fine with them doing these extra projects, but they just seemed so disjointed, you know? And, and um, there was talk that like Madam Web was supposed to have Spider-Man and it was going to be Andrew Garfield. And then they scrapped that. And then it was supposed to be Tom Holland. And then they scrapped all that and reshoot it all to just have no Spider-Man, even though there's clearly like spider characters inspired by maybe a Spider-Man. So now it's a universe that exists with spider people that are just, you know, they all came to the same idea of being spider people. (laughs) You know, it's, you know, like it has to start somewhere and maybe it doesn't need to be Spider-Man. It doesn't need to be, you know, Tom Holland. It could be, Spider-Woman, it could be uh, uh, the various variations of Spider-Man or or Spider-People. But it's just, it's kind of weird, you know? Like, you have this cash cow that you can develop in a way that it it makes bank. But uh, for some reason, they decide to, like, I don't know, make it weird and then bring Michael Keaton over as the vulture, but then do nothing with him at that's all I knew from Morbius is that they brought him over and it was like, why? Yeah. I, I feel like, and this is pure guesswork, but if Sony was like, Hey, we want to team up with Marvel and, and make a Venom movie, just like those Spider-Man movies were so successful when we teamed up and crossed over with all of your other stuff, Marvel. And I'm sure Disney says, sure. If we can own Venom or part of it. And I'm sure Sony was like, nope, <laughs> absolutely not. You know, and I, I imagine that's just, yeah. it's probably just corporate greed that's getting in the way of good content, really. I think so. It's probably also patience as well. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get the sense that Sony's willing to wait. You now the, the DC hurry up and get it done yesterday problem. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, uh, I know a lot of people are like, you know, James Gunn is going to do really well with DC and maybe he will. And and whatnot, but it also seems like they're they're headed down that same path of like announcing a new Superman, a new Batman, all that stuff. And it'll be interesting to see how the DC universe gets up and running again. But I don't know, like they it'll be interesting to see. The reset in order to cast new characters and tell new stories and relieve themselves of the films that people don't like very much it's just exhausting 
it, it's not something that fans want. We just had a retelling. It's, it, it's why when Marvel brought Spider-Man into the MCU, they didn't do an origin story because it's been done recently enough with Andrew Garfield's Amazing Spider-Man and even recently enough with the Spider-Man films from um, Raimi and... Um, uh, McGuire, Toby. Toby, Toby McGuire. Yeah. And like to have all that stuff, it's still so fresh. Like, I don't need another Spider-Man getting bit and discovering his powers movie at all. I'm quite happy with the, the, the long, it's a long story line. That's one line. And I think in, uh, Civil War, when they introduce Peter Parker and Iron Man in, in the bedroom and that's it, like, that's all you need to know. Cause everybody knows you don't need to tell it again. It's just like, everybody knows that Superman is from Krypton and they, they know all that stuff. And I don't need a, the world discovering Superman or the, the, the introduction to our Superman again, like I really feel that DC, while I don't want them to just play in the bed that they're living in because those movies really don't get it, the Batman v Superman and, and the Justice League films, but to, to rush in and reset it again so soon, like they would have way more weight if DC just said, you know what, those did not do what we expected and we're just going to wait five years. Like just put a pin in it and do other things or start with uh, like other secondary characters and build up to it slowly. Test the waters. Iron Man was not the big flagship character for Marvel, yet that's where the MCU started, right? Because they, they didn't know if that was going to take off. And I think that's the thing with DC is they keep on swinging for the fences rather than a solid base hit, right? And yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because some of the, my favorite characters like Superman, Batman, some of the villains, Clayface, Joker, uh, are really deep, you know, and, and they could potentially have a lot of story to tell in ways that you don't get with these astronomically huge villains like Thanos in the MCU. You can do so much with the Joker that you can't with Thanos, right? It's, it's, I, I want to say a little bit, what's well, a lot darker, but it, it can be more nuanced. You can get to know the villain just as much as you can get to know the hero in something like a Batman Joker story. Whereas it's really difficult to get to know Thanos in the MCU. When you compare that character to Captain America, the, the characters that you know a lot better, right? Yeah. It, like it'll be interesting. And I think the MCU will benefit from having like a quieter year. And, um, I think, I think anything, any rumblings we hear uh, in the background about Sony and Disney, you know, uh, on Twitter and leakers and all that, like, I think it's, uh, like it's, it like it's corporate greed. It's all, but it's also like just corporate arguments. And at, at the end of the day, I think that, uh, a lot of those projects, um, will work out. But I, I think the, I think where Sony suffers is they, they try to, they they try to like okay like we're not making Spider-Man films but we can make Spider-Man adjacent films. Um I I just for the life of me can't fathom why they why they won't try to connect it to Spider-Man but uh I don't know. I think it it's it's likely they want their own thing but they can't have their own thing because the best part of it is is with Disney. I, I don't think there's an exclusive deal like they said Spider-Man can travel between universes, right? Like mm -hmm. as a character, maybe not Tom Holland specifically, but, uh, I don't know. I think, I think the audiences are smart enough to understand that 
a Spider-Man that exists in the Sony films isn't doesn't necessarily have to be the same Spider-Man that exists in the MCU films. Just like if I watch a Spider-Man cartoon, I know it's not the same Spider-Man. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but that would be trusting your audience as well, which, you know, corporate <laughs> yeah. folks aren't very good at either. <laughs> no, that's that's very, very true. So I think we can move on to the main discussion, which is going to be talking about video games. So instead of what we've been watching, it's going to be what we have been playing or what we want to play in 2024. Uh, I'll have a GameSpot article linked in the show notes talking about the most anticipated games of 2024. Most of these fall under my radar. Um, not all of them are jumping uh, at the bit to, to play, but certainly if you have caught my eye. Uh, but I'm curious because, of course, Ryan, you do a lot more podcasting about video games than I do. And I was wondering what games are you looking forward to in 2024? I think this is Xbox's year to sort of have their time in the, in the limelight in the spotlight. Um, you know, Xbox has been working really hard behind the scenes through acquisitions and just like patient developing uh, of games. And this is going to be the year where they're going to have not one, not two, but but multiple big releases across the years, similar to how Nintendo has sort of set up their pipeline. And, uh, and Sony on the other hand is, is kind of, they've got, they've got no first party confirmed titles, not to say they won't have any, and they certainly have exclusives like with final fantasy seven uh, rebirth. That's a console exclusive, but it's not developed by, you know, PlayStation Studios. Um, the last one would have been, uh, oh, what would it have been? What was the last? Oh, Spider-Man 2. That was the last big PlayStation title to come out last October. So Sony doesn't have anything in the books. Nintendo doesn't have anything uh, in the books past March. Uh, they're looking at probably launching a successor to the Switch, which comes with its own you know, uh, baggage of releasing a new console and we'll see what they have. I don't think it'll be a repeat of the switch with, you know, breath of the wild and then super Mario odyssey at the end of the year. But, uh, this is Xbox's year to kind of like capitalize on not only their acquisitions, but their, their hard work behind the scenes. So you saw it in the developer direct, um, avowed from obsidian, uh, that got a, fall 2024 release date i believe correct yep um it looks good like it's as you have written here it's like a first person sort of skyrim-esque like melee slash slash magic wielding rpg um it uh <laughs> there, there was something about the gameplay though i i didn't i needed to go back and watch the trailer but there's something that fell off to me about it you're not wrong. I watched the extended developer interview. That was where I got that Xbox podcast um, bit from. There's like an extra right. 20 minute video on the Xbox YouTube channel, specifically about Avowed with the game director. And I want to say the game play director. I can't remember his title, but um, they go in depth and they talk about it. They talk about what's happening on screen. And you're right. When I was watching the, the B-roll footage, the extra footage that they were showing of these interactions, it really felt odd you know like you'd you'd the, the player would slash at this reptile bad guy with a sword and blood would spurt but the blood would kind of appear from nowhere like it didn't come out of the bad guy it just kind of like splashes across the screen it felt very much like arcade video games in like the late 90s it, it didn't at all feel uh solid and 
I find that those games, it's hard to tell with just video because you've also got like the vibration of the controller. You've also got the sound effects when you're at home and you don't get that when you're watching it on a YouTube video. Like it just doesn't, the sound effects are there, but it's not nearly as robust as it may be. Um, I've always had a bit of an issue with melee first person games. It, 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 I find third person much better for that kind of stuff. Basically, I think that it's the animation of the character. So if you take something like, uh, I'll use Assassin's Creed Valhalla as an example, because you're third person, even though you are pretty close to your character, when you take a really big swing with an ax, there's a long windup. Like you have to time it and you can see your character haul back and then bring that ax down on the bad guy. And when you hit them, it feels substantial. But when you're watching from a first person point of view, where you basically just have your mitts in front of you, it's just like these little thwacks. Like it just, it looks like you're high-fiving someone with a sword. It doesn't really have the, uh, I guess movement required. And I, in part, I'm sure that that's because it would also make some players seasick if there was a lot of movement with a first person camera where you had to show the head moving or showing the person, the character moving around to, to communicate that movement. It might not translate very well from a gameplay perspective, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm curious about it because it's one of those first fantasy RPGs that I've seen in a little while that isn't just gray and red or gray yeah. and blue. You know, I, I'm remnant is another, is, is a good one that I had an example of in my head. Uh, what's the one that's really difficult? Not souls. Um, Elden ring, Elden ring. Thank you. Uh, very pretty, like well rendered and really detailed, but like very monotone there's golds and there's some metals, but it's all still very bleak you know at the the end is nigh that kind of stuff and this has really bright colors you know like the bad guy lizards have got like red shields and skull helmets and the all the magic was like bright green or bright blue it, it felt very interesting in that way and, and colorful and i thought that was cool so I, i'm definitely curious about it especially because i believe it's coming to xbox game pass which means i'm not gonna have to fork over like the 90 to 100 for a new rpg in 2024. So I'll give it a go, especially if it comes on, on game pass. But the part of that, I guess the downside of the game pass is that if you don't like something or if it doesn't get its hooks in you right away, you don't feel obligated to finish it because you dropped a bunch of cash on it and you just like, well, whatever, I'm, I don't need to play it. It's just part of my subscription, but I don't like it. So I'm moving on. Right. Game pass is, uh, it's one of those subscriptions, like it's a great subscription. I love it. Um, but it has changed the way I play some Xbox titles. Yep. And uh, Starfield is a good example where I agree. Previous to Game Pass probably would have bought it day one since it's Bethesda. But because I played it on Game Pass and it didn't it didn't quite, you know, uh, latch on for me. So I I dropped it and I, I I'm fine with that. I um but it was because of Game Pass that I was able to sort of do that. So uh, Avowed looks, as you said, like very bright, very colorful, which is awesome. Uh, I love the style of like the Elder Scrolls Skyrim style of gameplay where it's first person and you're talking to people and you're engaging with them and you have, you know, decisions you can make. Having played Baldur's Gate 3, haven't finished it, but played a good chunk of it, um, that experience of like having these conversations and making choices and, and having your choices 
interact with the world is is really cool to see. So, and I like Obsidian. I think Obsidian has made some really solid games, and uh, Avowed is kind of like a continuation of their uh, Pillars of Eternity series, which is another sort of um, speaking of Baldur's Gate, it's like an isometric top down sort of uh, RPG. So I, I think this is a big one. It's uh, there is some weirdness to it, and I think you're right. It's just the animation style. Um, I had also heard that it it could just be the way they tried to present the gameplay a little bit to make it look less uh, chaotic. Like it feels very much like you know the uh, the meme of um, like old fighting movies, like old action films, where it's like you know, the bad guys take turns fighting the good guy. Like there might be 20 bad guys, but they still fight one-on-one. It really felt like they might've boiled down the combat a little bit for those short snippets. I didn't watch the extended one, so maybe I'm wrong, but I I just got the sense it was very curated. This being their first true gameplay um, uh, overview. So that one... uh, that one I might I'm willing to wait and see what they showcase in June during their sort of summer games fest uh, look, because that will probably be our best look at that game before it launches in the fall. Um, I'm curious, though, like uh, Indiana Jones and the Great Circle, which is a game that uh, uh, is being done by Machine Games, and it's also going to be on Game Pass because they are owned. Uh, they're part of Bethesda and therefore Microsoft. Uh it looks really interesting. It re- looks really good. I love machine games. They they worked on the recent uh, Wolfenstein sort of uh, reimaginings, and but there's some there's something about it also. Like the, it's it's funny. Like we're at this age where video games look and feel great, but sometimes um, there's a bit of uncanny valley, or there's just some stuff that sticks out. And this is all pre-release footage, so like some of this stuff might be ironed out in development and they got to show it eventually. So they got to show us something, but um, I think it might just be like the likeness of Harrison Ford and Troy Baker doing his best young Harrison Ford. And there's that disconnect in my brain. I know Harrison Ford wasn't going to come back and do the voice and have them like de-age his voice through AI. Like I do not want that. I think this is the right path forward with having a voice actor give us their best Harrison Ford. But uh, there are moments in that trailer where it's like, it really sticks and it sounds like young Harrison Ford. Then there are other moments in the trailer where it kind of feels like it's Joel from the last of us. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. how. What did you think about that one in terms of, cause I know you have, um, you know, animation background and, you know, when they try to do these realistic looking video games, I, I imagine sometimes that can be a, di- a bit jarring uh, when it comes to like lip sync and, actors portrayals of characters and such i find it can be good and bad to have my background in that i have high expectations and i have not been playing games my entire adult life i'm kind of back into it after getting the xbox series x during the first lockdown of covid in canada so feel like I had higher expectations. I don't know whether those expectations were set by watching animated movies or special effects in films and thinking that video games had caught up a lot more than they had. But I'm learning, I think, that a lot of it has to do with that these consoles come out, but they don't necessarily have any games yet that can take advantage of the full hardware, except, you know, within them. 
And I think we're only now starting to see some games that the Xbox Series X uh, offers that take advantage of this kind of stuff. But when I watch these games and I see things, like the first thing that I noticed about the Indiana Jones trailer when they do this close-up of the um, German Nazi scientist kind of in Indy's face, giving him like a stern talking to, and looks like he'd been, he's been beat up, looks like Indy maybe headbutted him and broke his nose or something. But he's trying to be this stern evil villain that's threatening Indy and he's shaking the whole time. Like the animation rig for him is not still like it's they're They're not holding it. And I think one of the biggest problems I have with animation in video games is idle characters that kind of constantly move. Like they kind of shift their weight from foot to foot or they're kind of like sitting up and then they're sitting down and they're sitting up and they're sitting down. And it's this constant movement. There's no, there's no pause. Whereas if you're standing around at a party and you're talking with a couple of friends, chances are the people listening aren't moving at all. They might be drinking something and they might be, you know, grabbing a snack, but they're not kind of constantly bobbing around. Uh, it's certainly not as much as what happens in video games. And it depends. I find that I forgive it a little bit when it's like in-game engine background characters, you know, like you're walking down the road in Red Dead Redemption and there's supposed to be a guy chopping wood. And then he stops and he kind of wipes his brow and then goes back to chopping wood. And if you stand there long enough, you watch the animation loop go through about six or eight times because you're not supposed to sit there and watch it. You're supposed to walk by and never look again, right? But yeah, in cutscenes, that's where I go, how did you not handcraft this? You know, this is, this is supposed to be an in-game movie. Yes, you're using an in-game engine character because it probably saves you time and money and energy and everything else. But at the very least, get an animator in there and craft the movement so that Indy stops moving when he stops talking. You know, I think that's the, that's the main thing I notice is that you'll have a character that will say something and maybe their lips will stop moving, but then they'll like gesture with their hand as if they're still talking. So it's like, it's not animated bespoke for that scene. It's like hand gesture number two, uh, you know, head movement number three, and then lip sync to match the audio. And it, no one pays attention to the fact that, well, he's done talking. He would then be stopping his movement or he would be on purpose stopping the movement to get a point across if he's like yelling or pointing or doing something important. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. I, when I looked at the Indiana Jones trailer, the gameplay looks kind of fun. I didn't play the uncharted games, but I know they're really popular and I've heard people comparing it to those. And I like a good puzzle platformer, 3D kind of situation. Again, I'm not big on melee first person. So like punching somebody instead and shooting them with a first person is not the, the best, you know, using a whip first person. I'd much rather have like an Assassin's Creed type game, Indiana Jones, than like a first person game. I feel like they're going back yeah. and forth. I think they said in the trailer that they're going to be, some of it's going to be first person and some of it like traversal and puzzle solving is going to be a lot easier if you're in third person because you get to kind of look around yourself and see the whole ruin or archaeological dig or wherever you are but yeah i i'm not i'm not a fan of how it looks and i think you're right in that they just haven't nailed the movement for indiana jones and i think part of the challenge of course there is that this isn't a brand new character if this was you know insert adventurer here and it was just meant to be an Indiana Jones like kind of game. And they weren't trying to emulate someone, an actor we already know, a character we already know that's been done very well in live action. Then I think there would be 
less of an issue. You know, it's it's like the um, I haven't played it, but I've seen a little bit of, of trailer footage and gameplay footage of the new Avatar game. And no one is looking at those and saying like, well, they move kind of weird because the whole Avatar film was animated. They all move a little bit weird, right? There all already is that uncanny valley in, in Avatar in that universe because of how their proportions are weird. They got tails or like cat people. And th this is when you start doing stuff really close to home, it starts to get harder to do successfully. I'm kind of surprised that to save on some money and, and possibly give more creative freedom that there hasn't been more games in say something like a star Wars property that are in the style of some of the animation, you know, like I would love to have a star Wars game that instead of like Jedi survivor, where it's kind of pretty realistic looking, it's a, like, if it was just meant to look like clone wars, because they could get away with so much, like you could do all this realistic atmospheric lighting and all your models could have that kind of stylized look. And you wouldn't be tied to any kind of uncanny valley because like, you know, any characters would have like really strict jawlines and very straight limbs because that's how the show looked. Right. And people would want that. They would want it to emulate the show. If that was the, like the artistic mission was like, Hey, we're making a clone wars video game and it's meant to look just like the show. Uh, I wish they would do more of that because I think that I would certainly be first in line to play any kind of existing or new property that looked like a Pixar film as best they could for a video game, that would be way more enjoyable for me than them trying to make characters look realistic because they just, they still are off the mark. Yeah. And I mean, mentioning Star Wars, it, it, the Star Wars outlaws that they're aiming for this year takes that realistic approach. I mean, it, it, it has a little more, I think it's a little more colorful and not cartoony, but like uh, less grounded than I think, you know, Jedi Survivor was and, and um, Fallen Order. Those are very much just like, take the movies, let's make a video game in that look and feel. I think Outlaws is a bit more stylized. I think you're right. I, I like the way Outlaws looks, you know, like I like the trailer. It's, it's tough when you get these early game trailers because any gameplay seems to be pretty far away. And then the trailers and stuff will have you don't know whether it's like an animated cutscene or whether it's in-game stuff. Uh, some of it looks pretty good, but at the same time, like when I see some stills, and this could also be just like articles grabbing the wrong screenshot, because sometimes you look at a still from Star Wars Outlaws and it looks a lot like um, Bethesda's latest offering in uh, Starfield, which I didn't like. I found the characters there terrible. Like that game felt unfinished on so many levels. And I don't want that dead-eyed stare from my my star wars characters in the game i feel like there's enough writing and 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 depth to the star wars universe that you can create some really interesting characters and to have it fall short visually or in the animation to to break that immersion would be such a a letdown right yeah that one's farther out though we'll we'll see what uh it brings it's also a newbiesoft title but um and Ubisoft's been hit and miss lately, so mm -hmm. we'll we'll see. I think this year has the has the opportunity to be um, a little more spread out than twenty twenty three was. Like twenty twenty three was like hit after hit, you know, of these games that you know saw delays due to the you know COVID nineteen pandemic, like at the at the height of it. Um, and twenty twenty four is likely to be games that were pushed out of twenty twenty three or didn't quite hit 
their targets in 2023. So we'll see. We got a lot of big titles coming out this year. Um, another one is is Fable. Although Fable was not in the developer direct, it was sort of uh, it was admitted. I mean, there was a lot of stuff to talk about and a lot of stuff to be unveiled for the first time. Obviously, we saw Fab- Fable last year, but I could see Fable slipping into next year. Although they have promised. Um, it was part of last year's E3 presentation, which was like these games are coming out in the next 12 to 16 months. Um, but I really like Fable. Like I'm a big Fable. Uh, I love Fable as a franchise. And to bring back the franchise with, you know, uh, the star of uh, the IT crowd. Uh, I don't know the actor's name, but um, man, that trailer is so good. Although it's hard to spot the gameplay in it, that's the only thing that has me a little worried. Although they do say it's all in game, but uh, yeah, I need to see gameplay for it. But they got the humor right. That's the main thing. Like if you can nail the humor of Fable, I think that's that's part of the charm of that franchise. The other part is the gameplay. So we'll see. They've got the one part down, the humor. As long as you're into that style of humor, like British sort of humor with fart jokes and burping and all that fun stuff. <laughs> I find it can be pretty dry. I thought the trailer was yeah. pretty dry. And and despite not being familiar with the franchise, I've heard of it and I've certainly seen the older games scroll by on Game Pass, but I I don't know anything about it, so I've never actually looked into it. Uh, but I did find the trailer quite enjoyable and uh, and dry. Like that's my kind of sense of humor. So yes. I, you know, it's again, something I would probably look at if it has enough positive reviews from people that i trust right yeah and it'll be on game pass as well like like all the first party xbox stuff is coming to game pass and i think microsoft is and xbox has sort of said like it, it it's going to be tough for them to disconnect that idea that all first party titles come to game pass day one and i think this year is going to be the first year where i think xbox might start to feel that pain of like man i can't i wish we hadn't promised like maybe like delay it by a couple months to come to game pass, you know, like I, I I think they are going to start seeing it, um, eat into their sales. Whereas like last year and years previous, they had have one title. So like it coming to game pass day one wasn't as big a deal, but now like you've got four or five big titles coming out this year and they're all coming to game pass day one. I think you could start seeing that, uh, that promise maybe change in future years Mm -hmm. uh, as Xbox starts to sort of climb, out of their third place hole. Uh, we'll see. I, I really think Fable, Indiana Jones, Avowed have a, have a chance to give Xbox their own seat at the table, their own flavor to sort of point to and be like, this is why you want to buy an Xbox or a PC or what, what have you. So um, they've been missing that for a while, and I'm really excited to, to see them have that back. Because, you know, when people ask, like, well, what do you what do you have your Xbox for? And of course there's third party titles. If you don't own both the PlayStation and Xbox, there's a lot for you to enjoy, but uh, they are missing those exclusives. And I think they're going to have them this year. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. Was there other games that sort of popped out to you on that list uh, for, for 2024, like RPGs or anything else that popped out? Well, I'm trying to expand the kinds of games that I play. Sure. And I've had some recommendations from you that I just haven't had the time to get into because the games I tend to pick up 
are games that like really are time sinks in in a good way that I enjoy. Things like Minecraft that I do for obviously the Sponge Chunks podcast and my own enjoyment, and then I've also got Satisfactory, which I really like, and uh, I play uh, deep RPGs like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, huge game. Uh, recently picked up Red Dead Two, again really decent sized RPG. And then you think, all right, well, when do I have time to play this other stuff? And I, I honestly don't because I just I don't have a lot of time to play video games. But I was looking at uh, Kanitsu Gami, Path of the Goddess. And that wasn't this week on the developer showcase. I think this was something that happened during the longer presentation this summer. The Xbox Direct maybe is what it was called. And that was something that I just completely did not expect. And it's really, really pretty. And it's, I don't normally go for the samurai type games they they tend to be uh as far as what i've heard they tend to be very difficult there's a lot of different timing and stuff involved uh i've seen some on game pass but i thought they were like two player only like multiplayer online kind of thing uh but i love the art style of this and again it looks like one of the newer games that is going to really take advantage of the graphic hardware and because i'm not familiar with uh, Japanese or, you know, Chinese lore and, and myth. I think this is Japanese and everything just is new. You know, we've all seen traditional kind of more Western fantasy, like dragons and orcs and goblins, thanks to Lord of the Rings, other, uh, mythos like Greek and Roman gods. People are pretty familiar with that kind of stuff. Thanks to Marvel. Thor and Odin and all the Norse gods are, are seeing a little bit more popularity. Same with uh, God of War, another title, you know, I think it's PlayStation. Uh, so this is all brand new to me. I don't know who any of these things are. I don't know what they're meant to represent. Uh, other people that are more steeped in it. Um, it is uh, Japanese folklore and, and, and fantasy. Um, so that kind of stuff I think is really interesting. And because it's so dang pretty, I just want to try it, you know? So, yeah. you know, that being included in Gay Pass, which again, I hope it is, um, would be, would be really, really fun. I just hope that it's not something that's so difficult that it becomes frustrating to play despite how pretty it looks from the outside. So are you familiar with this at all? On title alone, I hadn't recognized it, but I'm just looking, I was looking at the website and, um, you know, it, it. I think it was part of a Xbox reveal maybe last year, and uh, it's it's actually made by Capcom, which is really cool. So it's uh, it's a Capcom game, and I do get the sense that there is like, as you said, like the samurai style games. Sometimes they are um, more action based. Sometimes they're more uh, Dark Souls based, where it's like you know timing and parrying. This one looks more like kind of like a bit of a beat em up style game where where i think the gameplay will be less punishing um there was another game that uh that was on game pass it was called woe long uh and it was it was more of a dark souls-esque and very punishing um especially early on if you couldn't get the parry uh down so uh, and i uh i don't i don't particularly love dark souls type games but i have been known to enjoy one from time to time and i think it comes down to as you said it's just wanting to experience something different experience a new art style and and try to for me especially like try to try to 
know, poke my head in the door of like the the current discourse of like, okay, Elden Ring's a big a big deal right now. Like, let's check in on this and see what's going on. And even though I know deep down, like I'm gonna be terrible at it, but uh, you're right. Like the art style for this one, you know, it reminds me a lot of like a more realistic sort of uh, art style that Okami had, which was another Capcom game back in the day. Uh, so yeah, like just, just the look and feel of the game, it's, it's different from pretty much everything we've discussed tonight. Like it's, and I think that's important. I think it's important to try different things and, and experience, you know, different types of, uh, of video games and step outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And I think that's where game pass helps as well. But, uh, you know, this one being a Capcom game, it's likely not a day one Oh, never mind. The website says Game Pass. So there you go. <laughs> nice. So there it is Game Pass. Um so yeah, this is this is one I'll definitely check out. I'm surprised by that. It must be a it must be a deal they have with Xbox. Yeah, that that Game Pass logo there is a telltale giveaway that this thing is going to be coming day 1. So yeah, it looks uh it looks very much like a like a fighting slash beat 'em up style magic game or something. So but yeah, the art style is very very cool. Another one from Capcom, which I think you have on your list here, is uh, Dragon's Dogma 2. Did you ever play the first one? It's a more of a lesser-known title. I didn't play the first one, and again, because it's lesser-known. And I've only just started to hear more about Dragon's Dogma 2 because of some people I follow on YouTube. Uh, Force Gaming is a channel that I quite enjoy. Usually he covers MMOs, but he also kind of covers the RPG overlap, you know, from MMOs when MMO news is starving. <laughs> He kind of was like, oh, well, here, this this new, um, this new RPG is out and, or coming out. And I, this kind of came out of nowhere for me, but I thought that the mechanics in it were really interesting in terms of how the pawns were going to be working. These are like your party members that you can get to do things while you're either not playing the game or, or doing other things. You can assign them different tasks and the, the combat system and the characters felt different enough like it's still very much like dragons and knights and armor and you know rogues and and paladins and like that kind of sword play and whatnot but it felt like it could have a deeper a gameplay loop than just like the smash and bash like that's how i get bored with diablo it's just i feel like i'm just button mashing the whole time it doesn't feel very deep for me whereas something like this i feel like i could probably get more into but i also looked at it and thought this looks like all the other trailers for MMOs that I've seen in the last six months. So I, I kind of took it on the word of people that I respect online that are excited about it. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll check it out if I have, if I have a chance, but this doesn't look like it's coming to game pass, you know, going off your example of the, the logos on the, um, on the website, it's PS five, Xbox series X and S and steam, but there's no indication at all that it might be coming to game pass. Certainly not right away. Anyway, so it launches in March. Uh, I think it's Capcom's big, bigger release that they're aiming for this year, and it will will likely be a, f- a full price title at, at launch. And um, you know, I I think uh, a good rule of thumb is like if you look at Capcom games, like I think Resident Evil Two Remake, which is four or five, maybe six years old, just came to Game Pass. Right. So if you're interested in it. Uh, it's probably one not worth waiting for uh, for Game Pass. Might want to just pick it up if the reviews hit right. But um, I agree with you. It looks really interesting. 
it's got its own unique mechanics, but they they have their own take on sort of the general fantasy style and uh some of the designs of the monsters and stuff look really really interesting so uh and it's one of those games you can completely customize your character uh so you know it's it's been a while since we've i mean we get these games all the time but uh i think it's this one has its own unique spin on it so it'll be interesting um and then there's you know there's a like we're first we're very early into 2024 obviously there's a lot of titles that don't have dates just have the year attached to them um i'm really looking forward to frostbunk 2 which is supposed to be coming out in this first half of the year uh pc uh only but also day one pc game pass they announced that recently and it is a sort of city builder but uh filled with um uh, you know, I joke, but like filled with these depressing choices of like how to survive this like post-apocalyptic. Although now in the sequel, your city on uh, in, a, in a world that's been plunged into this everlasting winter, uh, it's 30 years after the sort of, I guess, canon ending of the first game where you survive the winter and you build a city that is self-sustaining. You're now left with this well, basically surviving long term and um, and having to make some tough choices to keep everybody happy and stuff. So if you watch the trailer, it's like it's like this is very stressful. Why would anyone want to play this? I think there's just like Dark Souls. There is this uh, there is this um, enjoyment, I guess, in in some of the, you know, just progressing through the game, even though there's like, you know, terrible stuff that's happening and you're having to make these really tough choices it's like playing through the last of us it's it's very hard to say like was it an enjoyable experience like it was you got something out of it the story the the triumph over over uh like a difficult combat scenario like i think it's similar in frostbunk 2 where it's like you're triumphing over adversity and and uh just keeping everybody alive and and building a really cool city while you're at it too right because it's all steampunk and 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 whatnot so i'm looking forward to that one i was a big fan of the first one and if if you haven't played it i think uh i think it is on game pass too the uh, frostpunk one so it's it's worth checking out because it's uh it's really hard to explain but if you watch the trailer it's like man this is really depressing why would ryan recommend this but playing it is a whole different story. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one, but yeah, like it's, it's going to be a busy year. I think, I think it's going to be busy video game wise, but I think it's going to start off a little slower. You know, we'll have a couple of titles here and there before it gets really busy. I think the fall is, is going to be very busy, but we don't know what that looks like yet. Obviously. Do you have anything from Nintendo? Cause that's the one thing that I don't really keep tabs on. Nintendo's a tough one. Like Nintendo has uh four or five remakes that they're that they're releasing from like last November to like uh the summer. Out of all their titles that they've announced, there's one title that's brand new which is uh, P- uh Peach's Showtime, which is coming out in March. But uh one I'm really looking forward to is Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, which is a remake of a GameCube game. Um as a huge Nintendo fan, there are some pretty glaring sort of uh, omissions in my 
in my experiences over the years. And I think Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door is one of those. It was like the last Paper Mario title that was like a true and traditional RPG with a story and characters and leveling up. And after that one, Paper Mario sort of turned into the, you know, Mario RPG with gimmicks. Like it, there was, it was right. always something that was like kind of holding it back from being like a true RPG. Um, with all the trappings of like leveling up and equipping items and, and progressing through a world and stuff. But uh, I'm looking forward to that remake. I think Nintendo is sort of in a holding pattern as they uh, make us all wait for their announcement of a successor to the switch. This is the year that we get the switch to or whatever it ends up being. Um, I for one hope it's called the super Nintendo switch. I think that's, that's the easy name. <laughs> <laughs> sitting on the table but uh, nintendo's never been one to like go with the easy like i think if i honestly think like i could see them not going with it you know that all the rumors point to it being like a successor to the switch possibly backwards compatible because nintendo has that trend of like you know every two years like doing a clean break from the previous generations and it's usually because of a format change you know where it's just too difficult to like include the technology to read a previous generation of, of cartridges or CDs or what have you. So there's always that like two, but there's always that two year pairing where they, you know, they would bring forward the switch to the super switch, but they're talking about it being like a continuation of the docked and, uh, and handheld mode and, and sort of trying to, uh, to bring that experience forward with like a, obviously a higher powered machine but never count Nintendo out in terms of like them going in a completely different direction. Uh, so I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't folks at home. I wouldn't hold your breath in terms of like waiting to see what, if the switch to, or the next Nintendo console ends up being something completely different. I don't think it'll be like the PlayStation five or the Xbox series X, where it's just this generational upgrade. You know, I think it could be something something else so we'll see what nintendo has up their sleeve there's rumors that thing will be launching in the fall so we'll probably get an announcement um soon i would think because they are kind of running out of laneway in terms of games uh they've kind of got stuff scheduled through the summer but after that it kind of goes dark which is pretty normal nintendo likes to hold on to their their released calendar until maybe six months before the game comes out so they're not behind just yet, but uh, yeah, they don't have a lot that has been confirmed for this year. Um, so, and I think that is mostly due to the fact that they're holding on to those experiences because they're going to be launch titles for this new console. So, to announce them would spoil the surprise of their next big console. So, yeah, we'll have to wait for that one. But if you're a Nintendo fan, might want to save <laughs> some money uh this spring because uh i can't imagine the console will be i don't think it'll be as expensive as you know the sticker shock we got with the xbox or playstation 5 but also don't expect it to be you know it's i don't think it'll be less than 400 uh, here in canada um so we'll see it, it, I don't even know. Like it could be even more expensive than that. I I think that uh, I think we are at a position where Nintendo might try to 
charge a premium. They usually do. They usually do sell their hardware um, at a gain. I don't think they usually sell at a loss. They don't. They've kind of exited that sort of strategy, but we'll see. Um, I think it'll be backwards compatible, which will help likely with the large price tag of, of this new console, but expected to be less than the PlayStation 5 or Xbox, I would think. The thing that I find hard to swallow with Nintendo a lot of the time, and I'm just, just it's just not my library of games. I, I've always, I grew up on Nintendo and I do like those games, but that's not what I generally want to play as an adult. Uh, and that's just me. But I find like when I look at it objectively, yes, it's usually cheaper than the Xbox and PlayStation offerings, but then for what you get hardware wise, it's a lot to pay for like what's no, it's either, you know, it's, it's not doing 2k, you know, like it's, it's the graphics and fidelity and stuff are not the same as the Xbox series X. That's why I got the Xbox is because I, well, one, I was more familiar with that ecosystem. I am a PC gamer for streaming. So having game pass ultimate allows me to have, you know, cross platform stuff. Like I could play Starfield on both, on both PC and on Xbox, for example, with cross saves, which was one of the only things that was good about that game. Um, but it like that kind of ecosystem and, and then the hardware I was getting granted, I was paying a lot for it, but I felt like I was getting a, like a cutting edge, like next gen console. Whereas when I looked at the switch, I was like, I mean, like I could get a switch, but it's, I don't feel like I'm playing necessarily new looking games on it because of, of the hardware. So I'm not sure how you feel. I mean, I know that the video games are not all about like how fancy the graphics are, but I wonder how you feel about what Nintendo might offer in terms of like, yes, it might have a price that's landing it somewhere underneath the Xbox and PS5, but is it going to compare hardware wise? No, um, it will. Um, from what I've read and heard, uh, it'll be closer to like a PlayStation four pro, uh, or Xbox one X sort of like the pro generation, maybe even like a little bit more than that. Um, but it's not going to come close to what you see on the PlayStation five or series X and it will output at 4k. Uh, I think that I I think that that's a, that's, there's a strong chance it'll output at 4k and we'll like the thing about Nintendo is, uh, you're, you're buying a Nintendo console for Nintendo games and Nintendo really knows how to squeeze everything out of their hardware to build a a product for their mainline franchises. I I think where you kind of see it start to struggle is with some of the more ambitious titles, like, Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom, uh, some of the more recent Pokemon games, those would all benefit from some, you know, stronger computing power. And I think what would give Nintendo a chance to truly see those visions come to to light is to like, okay, this outputs a 4K. We're not going to worry about 4K. We're going to still have this game target 1080p. It's going to still look great on your 4K set, but there's going to be no slowdown. We're going to be able to build this huge, fantastic world and, and have you interact with it and have it look really nice. But most Nintendo titles are like, um, uh, they don't have that realistic approach. We talked about with, you know, building a, a more Clone Wars esque, right. Star Wars game. Nintendo seems to really aims for the more, um, cartoony and stylized looks. Um, 
I don't think any of their franchises have that sort of like realistic look that I think the the current generation consoles really aim for with all of their titles. Like you look at Sony's offerings and it's all their first party stuff for the most part outside of Ratchet and Clank is is like realistic, you know, um, looking graphics. Like they aim for realism as opposed to stylized looks and stuff. So I think Nintendo has a better chance of like making a, a less powerful console sing because their their products really be- really don't need like the latest and greatest of graphics technology, right? Um, but that's not for everyone. I love Nintendo games. I recognize that you know they're not for everyone in terms of like character, story, difficulty, all that stuff, you know. And uh, if you're a big third party player of video games like you know you like your ea your ubisoft those types of products uh you're not seeing those run the best on nintendo hardware you know you're still going to need an xbox or a playstation or a pc to enjoy those those experiences right like the next switch isn't isn't gonna isn't gonna suddenly see like um you know suicide suicide squad and star wars outlaws suddenly come out like i i I don't think it's i don't think they're gonna quite get to that level as much as people are hoping they will but uh, i think it'll just kind of kind of come right under that like just a bit you know enough to get developers interested so that they don't have to like work on two different versions of a game they can kind of just you know <laughs> i say tweak the settings down a bit i know that's not how game development works but you know tuning a game for a lower performance uh hardware is is i think what they they aimed for with the switch and it sort of worked out for the most part but um yeah we'll see we'll we'll see what happens i i honestly don't know it's all rumors at this stage like nintendo said nothing outside of like hey your nintendo account's gonna work on it look forward to it They're pretty quiet. They're quiet until they're ready to talk about it. And they'll, they will wait until the absolute last minute. Cause they know people will buy it. Right. They own their marketing. They don't, they don't worry about making sure people know about stuff ahead of time. They just, they know it'll sell and it'll sell out and it'll be impossible to get one for like the first year if we're lucky. Um, so hopefully Nintendo has something that can, allow folks like myself and others who are really excited to be able to get one uh, day one, but we'll see. I think they've gotten better at that, but I don't know. Um, we just know nothing about it. It's so funny. We could talk about it for another half hour and like, we literally have no details of what Nintendo's doing. It's, it's kind of bananas how much attention they get when like they really don't have anything out there outside of a couple of remakes and, and whatnot. So, and Sony's the same way. I think Sony gets the same attention. Like they don't have any first party titles that they've announced for 2024 and uh, from their first party studios. It's, it's very silent. The only one out there talking is Xbox right now. So we'll see what the year brings. Speaking of Nintendo, we're going to move into the internet minute brought to you by you, dear listener. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported if you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. 
Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server shared with my personal Discord and access to the Barista Cut bonus audio extended version of the podcast, as well as the live recording, which is happening right now with a live chat here in the Discord. Special thanks to our Bean Counter patrons, Cosmic and Smurf588. Thank you ever so much for the support on this episode. Patron count is 28. That's up from last episode, if you're paying attention. There's always room for more. If you would like to join the ranks, check out patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. My pick this week is the Lego Piranha Plant from Super Mario. It is set number 71426, retails for $80 Canadian, 540 pieces. It's nine inches tall, four and a half inches wide by six and a half inches wide, which I believe is like the, the petals, the leaf arms of the plant go wider one direction than the other. And uh, I have to say, this is really fun, surprisingly round for a Lego build, has a really cartoony, true to the model look of the classic piranha plant, Batty from Super Mario. And it looks like the whole thing is posable too. You can move the piranha plant in the pipe. You can pose the leaves. The head, which is full of very pointy teeth, uh, opens and shuts. And there's like a little tongue inside. I was really impressed with the the detail, considering that it's under a thousand pieces and and barely even stands, you know, 10 inches tall. So I thought this was pretty cool. It was released in November, but it is on back order and new versions of the Prino plant will ship within 60 days, uh, according to lego.ca. So uh, have you seen this, Ryan? Have you uh, been familiar with some of the Lego Super Mario offerings? Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm very familiar with the sort of uh, the more playable sets with the Super Mario Lego because uh, my kids are very much into it. And and myself, look, I, I definitely use it as an excuse to be like, well, we should buy the Donkey Kong set and the Luigi's <laughs> Mansion set so we can kind of like continue. I think right now we're at a stage where like um, we just moved the kids into their own rooms and kind of reshuffled everything in the house and Caden has this like huge empty space. It actually looks like he, he moved out when you're walking up the hall and you see nothing in the room. And I'm like, we should get a bookshelf. And then he could set up all his, all, all the Super Mario Lego. It's, it's everybody's, but to have a space for it to be set up. And he's kind of excited by that idea. And I think that Nintendo and Lego have done a really great job at, uh, with their Super Mario sets. And they've been slower to sort of develop sets that are like, traditional lego of just like build it and put it on a shelf and be like oh that looks cool and i think this one is one of their first more practical like traditional lego sets and i'm looking at it and i'm like this is cool especially since it's like under a hundred dollars like that's the surprising thing you know um lego is usually pretty expensive and there are other more all ages sets that they've had like uh are are more expensive like the nes and the the super mario 64 like question mark block which is this they're all like 300 plus this is the first one that really feels like you know you could kind of put it on your shelf and and not break the bank although i know you you buy a lot of lego and you you're probably looking at this like 80 bucks that's a steal you know like it's not 400 what's happening it depends on the size of it and honestly it depends on the look of it like sometimes i'll look at something and think whoa 80 bucks is is a steal and other times i think oh man that's not that's not a lot or you know to get for your money yeah uh this i think is probably priced about right but it's also i'm the target audience right like i'm the mid 40s grew up playing nintendo like love the piranha plant and, and all that 
Um, but I'm not like the biggest Nintendo fan where I'm going to drop $350 on the Mighty Bowser, which is another yeah. model that they have, which is also an impressive model. Like that is a, it's a large kit. Uh, it's got 2,800 pieces, right? And that is on par for $350. So you're, you're going to be building that for quite some time. It's probably quite intricate. And there'd be more than just the model. When they're that big, when you get into the 3,000 piece range, then you're into like, what's the engineering behind this? Like there's a real experience of putting this all together. Uh, and it looks like he's posable too, right? So that, that ends up, you're like building your own action figure at that point. I don't think Optimus Prime was 300 plus, but he was close to 300. It was 270, I think. And I remember thoroughly enjoying that despite how much money, you know, was, was spent on it. So I, there's a push and pull, you know, like, uh, same thing with my latest X-Wing, but things like that, things that are in that 300 plus, like I save those for like Christmas or birthdays. Like I don't just buy it on a whim. Yeah. And I, and I have to say uh, a big thank you to the community because a, a lot of the Lego that I built last year was purchased and, and given to, to me as, as gifts from the community. Sometimes it was one person. Sometimes it was a bunch of people that got together to send in a set. And so that helps <laughs> with my Lego budget which is of course like some of it was me, but, but others were, were gifts, which I, I really, really appreciate. And, and they're really fun to build live on, on camera as well. I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for more Lego Super Mario. I would be very curious to see because of all the vehicles that Lego does, if they ever do any Mario Kart stuff. Oh, you know, they'll get to it. Cause that would be good shelf stuff. Cause they wouldn't have to be ginormous, right? Like they, they would be in that 500 to 700 piece range, probably six inches, eight inches long, that kind of deal. Just enough that you can get mm -hmm. some detail into the characters that are sitting in the go-karts. Yeah, they do have um, Bowser's Muscle Car expansion set, which is part of the uh, the Super Mario Lego uh, digital sort of experience. And it is, um, it's based on, I think, Super Mario 3D World, Bowser's, there's like a Bowser battle where he's in his car and he's tossing bombs and and i think it's it, it could be a first sort of foray into their like mario kart style uh stuff and you know lego's been doing expanded partnerships with nintendo they have animal crossing coming later this year there's rumors that they could do it like a legit um zelda set although they're of course there there's rumors that it's going to be the great deku tree which you'll probably have to spend 500 bucks just to get the small little link <laughs> <laughs> minifigure. You know, of course they go with the biggest thing, but they were either going to do that. I'm surprised they didn't go with Hyrule Castle. This is all rumors at this stage, but Hyrule Castle would, would also be a probably a $500 plus set. So, or 400, however much this stuff costs. Like I try to make it sound super expensive so I don't go out and try to buy it, you know, cause it's, I have nowhere to put this stuff, especially if the kids can't play with it. It'll be interesting to see what they end up doing. What's your pick this week? I struggle. Like I don't have a lot of like little websites and stuff, but there's been trend over the last couple of years to have these like little online micro games that you play every day. And I've always struggled to find like one that really fits my taste and, and my knowledge base. And of course I found one, it's called guess the game. It's available at, uh, uh, guess the dot game and essentially what it is is kind of like uh they had a movie one but you get six chances to guess the game and it starts with screenshots the first one's usually like a zoomed in obscure screenshot of a game and if you know the game you might get it right away but as you guess like you type your guess in and it auto 
uh, completes. And as you guess, it gives you more clues, more visual clues, but also like clues of the game, like release year, platform, developer, genre, that sort of thing, uh, Metacritic score. And you get six chances and it's very visual and it's a quick daily thing. Uh, I do it every morning just to kind of like get my guesses in and um, yeah, it keeps track of all your scores. There's like, uh, like streaks and all that fun stuff, like what you would expect from a sort of a daily game, but it's a lot of fun and a great way to discover new stuff, you know, but, uh, it's really cool. I really enjoy it. And it's a, it, like I said, it's a great way to discover new stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised. Like I, I like to think I know a lot of, <laughs> I keep my, my ear to the ground in terms of video games, see what's new, what's coming out. And oftentimes there'll be a game that's like, oh, this came out last year and I've never heard of it. So the developers behind it do a really good job at like finding some obscure stuff that not everybody might've played. Like it's not all Call of Duty. Like it's not all right. Legend of Zelda. It's cool. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Ryan and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod, and you can, of course, email the show at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or just find the show by name on social media. You can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The RSS feed is linked on thecitadelcafe.com. But word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything that I'm doing online at joelduggan.com. That includes links to my other podcast about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. We recently interviewed Nembon on the show, a uh, senior developer at Mojang working on Java Minecraft. It was a very, very cool discussion. And then this past week, we were looking ahead as to what we were doing in 2024 in Minecraft and what might be coming down the pipes from Mojang in the game. So that was a fun conversation as well. You can find me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week. Most of the time lately, I have been pushing to finish my project on the Citadel Minecraft server, but I play other games too. Ryan, thanks again for being on the show. Always a pleasure to have you back and talk about video games. Where can people find you and all the things that you do online? For social media, I'm R. Murphy on Twitter and Discord. I'm in the uh, Joel Duggan Discord. So uh, feel free to, you know, tag me if you have any questions about what we talked about uh, on the show. As for my podcast, you can find all of the ones that I currently co-host at uh, tgistudios.com. If you enjoy video games, be sure to check out The Gamers In, a weekly show where I talk about video games with my co-host Jocelyn. And I also do a zombies-focused podcast with Lou Page, who has uh, in the past guested on TCC as well. That's called Zombies Ate My Podcast. We're doing something different. I think for the first time, we're going to cover an anime, I think next week, called Zom 100. And um, I'm really glad when we are able to step outside the AMC sort of Walking Dead universe because it always ends up uh, having us experience something really cool. So Zom 100 is a, it's a really interesting take on the zombie genre as an anime. It's really neat. And then finally, I do a geek culture and parenting podcast called Dungeons and Diapers. You heard us talk about that at the top of the show with the challenges we're working on right now. Be sure to check that out and find out uh, ultimately what Crofton decides to end up doing for 2024. We'll see. I'm looking forward to that as well. So lots of places, lots of stuff going on, but uh, mostly video games. That's my main thing.
You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.